0: We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health.
1: While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your health care.
0: We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey, it's Anita here. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to let you know If you're pregnant and want step-by-step guidance on how to have less pain and pelvic floor symptoms in pregnancy, how to prepare mentally and physically for labor and pushing, including how to minimize tearing, how to have your partner feel confident to support you during birth, and how to navigate a smoother postpartum recovery, my Bump to Birth Method online program is available for you to join. It's three programs in one, covering pregnancy, birth prep, and postpartum recovery, plus you get lifetime access to the program content and bonuses. Bump to Birth Method is my on-demand, self-paced online program where you can learn from the comfort of your own home through video and audio lessons on how to best connect to your pelvic floor and core in pregnancy beyond traditional Kegels, strategies to help common pregnancy pains and pelvic floor symptoms... My top strategies to prepare your mind, body, and pelvic floor for labor, how to best support you and your pelvic floor during pushing, key strategies for your partner to support you during labor, and how to navigate your first six weeks postpartum. Bonuses include expert interviews, core and pelvic floor yoga class, three strength training workouts, hospital and home birth bag lists, meditation tracks for pregnancy, birth, and postpartum recovery. Whether you're preparing for your first or fifth birth, if you're ready to have less pain and pelvic floor symptoms in pregnancy, feel fully prepared mentally and physically for labor and pushing, including how to minimize tearing and how to navigate your first six weeks postpartum recovery, then head to the show notes or go to bump to to see what other expecting moms have said about bump to birth and to enroll today. So welcome back to the Two Birth and Beyond podcast. It's Anita here. And on today's episode, I have Eva Klein join me, who is a certified infant and child sleep consultant and is the founder of My Sleeping Baby and the Sleep Bible program. Eva's main goal is to help her clients establish a healthy sleep habits with their children. And after experiencing the debilitating effects of chronic sleep deprivation from her middle child, Eva was inspired to help families overcome their own sleep challenges. And Eva truly emphasizes with her clients' sleep troubles and personally invests herself in their sleep journey. Eva is a proud wife and mom of two girls and a boy who are all great sleepers and lives with her family in Toronto. And she provides individual sleep consultants, uh, consultations, facilitates group seminars, and runs an online sleep program in her Sleep Bible community. So clearly, Mm -hmm. you are very passionate about sleep, Eva, which is why I was so excited to have you on to chat about this topic that I feel like mothers, parents, everyone just wants to know more about.
1: Yes. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. You're absolutely right. This is literally one of my most favorite topics to talk about out there because it's one of those things where when you are able to finally get that amazing night's sleep day in and day out, despite having a baby or toddler or preschooler at home, it, the, The impact that it has on your quality of life is massive. It cannot be underestimated what kind of impact it is. In fact, my husband jokes that what I do is sort of in a similar category to winning the lottery and that there's very few things in life that can change your quality of life in a very short period of time. So winning the lottery is one of those and yeah. getting your baby, sleeping through the night in you know, a week, <laughs> it yeah. definitely falls into that, that category as well. Almost everything else that impacts your quality of life takes, takes yeah. a lot more time than that.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I was talking, one of my early postpartum clients today, she's four weeks and, um, part of what we do as well as public physios and as Justin and I've talked about in the podcast, like sleep doesn't get talked about in a way that would be helpful. Like everyone gets told when you're pregnant, Oh, you know, sleep now. Cause you won't, when the baby comes like all this really unhelpful information. Um, For sure. but also sleep postpartum really affects your physical healing too, and how you feel the next day and your energy. Um, mm-hmm. so there's so many impacts I feel like, um, as a mom, as a parent when it comes to sleep. And I know there's so many, um, Kind of infant and baby and toddler sleep topics we could talk about, but I know we wanted to keep it specific so we could answer some kind of deeper questions. So for today's episode, Eve and I were going to be focusing on the nap time specifically, zero to six months. So then we can create those habits for later on. And as a mom, especially with my first, pretty much they were all naps on the go. Like my daughter would not nap. Without moving. And I know there's so many things we could have done to get ahead of that. There were so many things that I'm just like stroller naps were just pretty much life. Um, With our second, we had learned more. So we were able to um, get naps to be a lot more flexible. But I know there's so many uh, listeners who are going to really appreciate all the strategies and tips you'll be sharing. So why don't we start with what are some of the key um challenge sleep challenges you find your clients come to you with and what did you experience i know especially with your middle one it sounds like that was the most sleep challenging um experience with your three
1: Yes, 100%. So to to answer your second question really quickly, I got into this business completely by accident. I happen to be a lawyer by training, which I know seems um, sort of random. Like how in the world did I go from practicing law to running my own business, helping moms get their little ones sleeping? And the answer honestly is by accident. I was on maternity leave with that second baby of mine who was literally waking me every 90 minutes all night long. And I should mention, that this was despite me doing so many things right when it came to her sleep but because she was what I like to call a high needs baby, a spirited baby, a strong willed baby, a difficult baby. (laughs) Um, It meant that sleep was just not something that came naturally to her, despite me doing so many of the things correctly. And so with her, it's not that she couldn't learn how to sleep. It's just that doing things good enough, quote unquote good enough wasn't actually good enough for a baby like her. And so um she was what sort of pushed me into this world because first of all, I had no choice but to open up the sleep books, you know, and and really figure out what I had to do. I managed to make the situation a little bit more manageable on my own, which gave me a little bit of clarity to come up with this crazy idea that went, hey, why don't I use up the rest of my MAT leave to get my certification to become a sleep consultant? Um, Um, Here in Canada, we have 12 months of mat leave. So I think I was, yeah, you know, four, four or five months in. And, um, and that's exactly what I did. Um, And so when I was done my mat leave when she was one, I was back at work part time, launched my part time side business, which was really just supposed to be fun side money, you know, you get a new client and you go buy that pair of shoes that you would normally not buy. But Very early on, I saw how quickly this was growing because not surprisingly, take a wild guess what happens when you help a really tired mom get her baby sleeping and now she's no longer so tired. That's right. She goes and tells every single one of her fellow tired sleep friends that she just hired Eva Klein and you should go and hire her too. And that's exactly what happened. And then within six months of me coming back to work, I was sort of at that fork in the road going, okay, well, what do I do now? And um and the answer was actually made for me because my boss pulled me into the office one day. Not what you're thinking, the opposite. Hey, Eva, we can't have you here part-time anymore. It doesn't work. with you busy. We need you back full-time. And so that was when I knew, all right, I have to, if I want to continue to grow this business, I really have to, um, say no to that full-time, uh, job offer, basically new job offer there. And that was what I did. And that baby of mine is now nine and a half. So that was a solid eight and a half years ago. And I haven't looked back. And since then, I've had the honor and privilege of helping thousands of families get their babies, typically ages zero all the way up to age five or six, sleeping like champs. The I would say by far the most common sleep problems that people reached out to me about are little ones that are either not sleeping through the night at all when they're old enough to be sleeping through the night, or a younger baby who might be ready to go 8 hours before waking up and eating, but is only going 2 or 3 hours before waking up and eating or 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 less than that potentially. And so no one is getting enough nighttime sleep. And then I'd say a really close second would be the struggle to get their little ones to sleep to begin with. So a really stressful bedtime, really stressful nap time where you know all you're doing is literally spending half of your day rocking or feeding that baby or toddler to sleep, which usually then coincides with all these extra night wakings. They're all sort of directly connected, but I guess technically also separate sleep problems as well. And then naps I would actually throw in. I would I would put daytime sleep as like a tie for um, bedtime battles because moms need, first of all, moms need nap time, um, because they either need to sleep themselves or, you know, they need some time to be able to recharge, take care of themselves, do other things that they need to do. You know, they love their babies dearly, but like, as the saying goes, a little bit of absence makes the heart grow fonder, you know, and you, you love your kiddo dearly, but like you need a break. But uh, what's just as important as that is that your baby, also has daytime sleep requirements, especially in that zero to six month mark, which I know is what we're going to be focusing on. And if they don't get that daytime sleep, then we end up paying the price for that, not only in terms of, fussiness crankiness crying colic etc but we also pay the price for it at nighttime in the form of all sorts of unnecessary night wakings and restlessness as well which then brings us back to the very first reason top reason why people reach out to me which is that their nighttime sleep is crap so really part of the solution in terms of maximizing your little one's sleep at night is to make sure that daytime sleep is also maximized
0: hmm yeah so why don't we go through and for for those who are listening who are pregnant you may not know this yet if you have little ones you may have already figured this out but during those first six months um there is a range of wake times in the amount of naps that um that babies need so why don't we even start there of like how much time on average during those six months um kind of that range of of that wake time versus the um amount of naps during the day
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll go chronologically here and we'll start, we'll start with the newborns, you know, let's start with the the zero to one month range. So those babies need a lot of daytime sleep. They're sleeping a lot. How much? It 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 does it honestly doesn't even matter. Don't focus on that because um I I wouldn't it's not important, right? In other words, what is important is making sure that your little one isn't getting overtired from being up for too long. Don't rack your brain and make yourself crazy timing how much daytime sleep they're getting. Because if I tell you, oh, they need six hours and they're getting seven or five, I I don't want you to start, you know, panicking here. Because um, really there is so much irregularity when it comes to sleep patterns in that age range. And, And there's also pretty big ranges in terms of patterns from newborn baby to newborn baby in that range in terms of what they're doing. Um, And it's all within the realm of normal, right? There's a very, very big range of normal in that specific stage. Um, But what I would say has a much smaller range is specifically a newborn's wake periods, meaning how long they can be up for before they begin to get tired and need to go back to sleep. And then you keep them up for too long, they become overtired. So in that age range, those wake windows are usually somewhere in the 45 to 60 minute time period maximum, and that includes the duration of the feed. (laughs) And so- Uh, That might mean, especially if uh, you are breastfeeding or you're trying to breastfeed, like the feed is going to take up the vast majority of your baby's wake time. Um, And that is okay, right? If your little one's wake time is they feed for 30 minutes and then you give them a diaper change and then maybe you do a little bit of tummy time, maybe not. Maybe they, you know, baby goes on the play mat and looks out the window for a few minutes and then they go back to sleep and then that's it and then you're done 45 minutes later they're tired rinse and repeat throughout the day so how much daytime sleep in total is that don't don't worry a lot <laughs> a lot yeah. it's all it's all good um but you know really focus on that because you know I will tell you Um, that when you're getting to the one to two month age range, there is some amount of regularity that might come about, but the wake windows are still very short. Perhaps you might be looking at wake windows in the 60 to 75 minute range, which is still very short and it's still very frequent and it's still a lot of daytime sleep. But Um, what both of those ranges have in common is their wake windows are very, very short. And if that baby, that zero to two month old baby is up for too long, um, they're going to get very, very cranky. And in in my experience, I have seen many, many, many babies experiencing colic-like symptoms in that 5 to 7 p.m. or, you know, 8 p.m. time frame, and don't get me wrong, I'm not a colic denier here by any means. Colic is a real, true thing that exists with a minority of babies, but what I can tell you is that there's a very big chunk of babies who exhibit colic behaviors, but the reality is that they're just overtired. And what ends up happening is, you know, this baby is is just up for even a little bit of a little bit too long throughout the day, and then by 6 p.m. it really catches up to them. And then by that 6 p.m. time frame, it's like they're done. You know, they've reached their breaking point. They're just fit to be tied. Can't cope. Um, You know, on top of that being so overly stimulated, and then that's when the nonstop crying can ensue. And I can, I'll, I'll tell you on a personal note. I actually experienced this with my youngest, with my son, who happened to be my champion sleeper. He was my first baby that I had as a sleep professional. I had worked with thousands of families before I had him. So he was my first baby that was sort of like my little guinea pig. And I was able to apply everything that I had been teaching to my own baby and as a result, he, he wasn't this angelic, you know, I mean, he, he's cute, but you know what I mean? He wasn't a, a unicorn baby, right? That my older one was my oldest baby literally was that baby that made me look like the best mom in the entire world. He, on the other hand, wasn't high needs, like my middle one, I'd call him a textbook baby. And so what it meant was that because I knew what I was doing that time around, like really, really knew what I was doing. My baby never, almost never cried unnecessarily, or for more than a few minutes because I always knew what he needed. I always knew when he's going to be hungry, when he's going to need to go for a nap. But there was one day that I miscalculated his schedule. And I remember my dad was over for dinner and I thought that my son was due to go back down for a nap around six when really he had to go back down for a nap at five. I had miscalculated by an hour. By six o'clock, this kid was screaming bloody murder like I had never seen with a doctor come to our house. I was convinced he had a double ear infection. My husband's like, what's going on? This has never happened before. Something must be terribly, horribly wrong. And my husband is the most even keeled, mellow guy you'll ever meet. And he was like, should we take JJ to the hospital? (laughs) Like that's, that's literally what was happening because he had never heard such blood curling screams before. There was no ear infection. There was no there was no constipation. There was no issues. He was overtired because I miscalculated. And as a result, was very, very, very mad at me for that. And so being on top of your little ones' wake times in this particular age range is worth its weight in gold in terms of. Having a happier, well-rested baby, having a baby who as a result cries less and fusses less or significantly less. And then on top of that, having a baby who is then set up to be able to give you much better nighttime sleep because they're going to be more settled and less restless as a result of not being overtired. Mm -hmm. So what is daytime sleep? So same thing, how many naps, how long, how much duration in total? I don't know. Lots, right? Lots. Um, Don't worry about that. Just focus on ensuring that your little one isn't up for too long. That is the most important thing. And then don't worry about the other stuff. I think that's helpful. Yeah.
0: For, for, um, for moms, for parents to hear about that because Rather than being specific about the timing, you gave them kind of a range. But what I think will be helpful to go into it or what are some signs that baby is kind of saying, like, my wait time is kind of coming to an end? Like what because they can't communicate the same way we do as adults. So what what can a parent look for? for so sure. that kind of lets them know when they're when they're ready to be going down for a nap.
1: Okay. So the answer to that, I would say is is um. It's like there's a two-part, I guess, a two-part formula or two-part process to that. So first and foremost, what I would say is that um, there are not when really the main, main factor that one should be using to determine when their little one needs to go to sleep or back to sleep is not their body language. We'll talk about sleepy cues in a second. It's their wake windows. And the reason for this is because Body language becomes less and less reliable as they get older. And in some newborns, it can be unreliable from the very beginning. And so what you want to be doing is you want to be from the get-go sort of figuring out what your little one's sweet spot is through trial and error. And you can use your little one's body language to help you with that trial and error process. But then the idea is that once you have figured out what your little one's sweet spot is, and you can use those ranges that I just gave you to help you guide, to help guide you there, then the idea is that the main thing that you're doing moving forward is you're looking at your watch, or you're listening, or you're putting a timer, you're putting a timer on your phone so that you don't forget that, you know, in an hour, your little one's going to have to go back to sleep or 75 minutes or whatnot, right? You know, you can, you can use all the, all the, um, The tools and the apps in the world that you need to, you know, help you out with this. Because here's the thing with sleepy cues: Um, sleepy cues. The reason why I say that those are secondary is because I actually find that exclusively going by those actually makes your life more stressful. So let me sort of take a step back. What do I mean by sleepy cues? So the the idea is that your little one is going to show you signs that are not going to necessarily be super obvious. They might be a little bit more, you know, covert, but they're there and they... theoretically are supposed to mean that your little one is just beginning to get tired and needs to go back to sleep. So some of these sleepy cues might be rubbing the eyes, pulling the ears, you know, pulling their hair, um, spacing out, you know, or zoning out, no longer showing interest in toys. They might, you know, bury their head in a, in a caregiver's chest, um, Sometimes we see, you know, redness under their eyebrows, which is a lesser known sleepy cue, but is, should be very well known because it's a, it's a common one. And a lot of people don't know that that actually means they're beginning to get tired. And so looking out for that body language can absolutely help guide you to figure out when your little one needs to go back to sleep. But the problem with relying on it exclusively is that it can, it makes your life more stressful because then you probably feel like you're, you're in the FBI constantly looking at your body's, your baby's body language, trying to figure out, Oh, Oh, does that mean, wait, did I see a yawn? I don't know. Was that a yawn? What do you think? You know, was that an eye rub? I don't know. Let me look for it again. And let me just sit there and stare at my baby for the next, you know, 10 minutes straight, trying to figure out if they're tired. That's really, really hard. (laughs) And what's really, a lot easier is to have a a, a much, a much better system in place that can sort of just let you know, okay, your little one is probably going to be tired every hour throughout the day. Um, And so you can just assume that they need to go back to sleep and, you know, uh, every hour or so. And how you know that that is your little one's sweet spot really is a trial and error process. So you can help, you can use that body language on the front end to help you determine that but and then when you see that your little one was up for an hour maybe they were also rubbing their eyes at that point and then they fell asleep within 10 minutes and then slept for an hour and a half awesome that was great that meant that that worked do that again your little one's wake windows are not going to range drastically from nap to nap throughout the day they're going to need to be about the same give or take 15 minutes and so, um, and so you don't need to be sitting there trying to decipher and examine your baby's body language when there honestly really is a much easier and and less stressful way that you can do that, which is just do that little spend a day experimenting with wake windows. Upfront, keep a log so that you can remind yourself, ah, when I did this wake window, it took my baby 45 minutes to fall asleep. Ah, so the timing there may have been a little bit off. You know, try lengthening it or shortening it depending on, um, you know, de- depending on how old your little one is. And then what the greatest thing about this is from there is that once you have your baseline, you know that your little one's wake windows are only going to get bigger with time they're not going to get shorter. Your little one's not getting younger, right? This isn't like reminds me whenever I explained this, someone was like, oh, like Benjamin Button. I'm like, exactly. This is not, that's not what's happening here. Your little one is only going to get older, which means that when your little one's wake windows seem to not be working anymore, and it's been at least a few weeks, just add another 15 minutes across the board, and that'll account for the fact that your little one is a little bit older and needs a little bit more wake time. And it is so much less stressful than sitting there practically with a magnifying glass, examining your baby all day long, feeling helpless to, you know the whim of your little one's body language, which may or may not be accurate to begin with. So um, I know that that was sort of a long-winded <laughs> answer. No, too.
0: I think that helps because it's there is so much information on out there, right? Of like what to actually look for. So I think that makes it way easier. Um, so as,
1: much easier. Yeah. To so like, much easier
0: time. And then I think how you mentioned too of like because I know some will be like, okay, well, how do I know when to increase it? And you answered that too of like just, you know, once you notice they need a little bit more, like just add on that 15 minutes and then trial and error again and see where they're at. So I think that's super helpful. And then, so once you find that sweet spot, what would be some helpful kind of habits or like, do you often teach your students like a routine or like to then kind of build into that nap? What do you suggest doing Mm -hmm. kind of once you find the sweet spot to when they're actually napping?
1: Yeah. So I'd say it depends on, you know, what age we're talking about. So if we're talking about newborns, like let's say the, the zero to three month range where, you know, by the time they're in that two to three month mark, the, the, the biggest wake windows I've seen for a three month old are maybe 90 minutes, maybe, maybe, maybe the, the odd exception might be in an hour and 45 before they begin to get tired, but really the average is somewhere in that 60 to 90 minute range. Um, They're still napping very, very frequently. And so what I always tell people is try to maybe do one nap a day at home in the bassinet. So maybe nap one, because nap one is usually the easiest nap of the day. There is the most amount of sleep pressure um, before that nap, making it easier to get that baby napping in the bassinet. And then for the other naps, let them happen anywhere. You know, people ask me, do I have to be home? I don't want to be housebound. If I'm, you know, doing your newborn sleep course, do I have to be home all day? No. No. <laughs> No, please, please don't be home all day. That's, if if you're a homebody, let me take that back. If you're a homebody and you want to be home all day, you do you. If you don't want to be home all day, then please don't because it's in your best interest to get out and, you know, get outside, go see friends, you know, go, go have a life outside of, you know, being at home with your baby. And then your baby can absolutely be napping on the go while you are out and about, whether it's the stroller the car seat, a baby carrier, it's all good. It's all fine as long as they're napping when they need to be napping. Um, I I would say at this age, one of the things you want to be very careful about is not creating what I like to call a one-trick pony, where you have a baby who only knows how to fall asleep for a nap one way. So you you have a baby who can only fall asleep in the baby carrier no matter what. That is exhausting. (laughs) That's that doesn't matter how amazing of a baby carrier you have with the best back support, you know, as well, you love your baby dearly, but you're going to want to have a little bit of space. Um, and a little bit of time off, you know, from your baby being on you like all day long. Um, it, it can become very stressful very quickly. Um, you know, another very common example is having a baby that can only fall asleep while nursing. That's incredibly, incredibly stressful because that's literally just you, right? That means that. You know, no one else is able, you can't get a break. No one else is able to get that baby to sleep except for you. And so to minimize the chances of that happening, you want to encourage, um, well, well we'll call it diversification my husband works in finance so i'm just going to take some of his terminology <laughs> and apply that here really you want your baby to be flexible when it comes to you know where they're sleeping don't worry about you know napping napping in specific devices in a swing you know with motion or whatnot you cuz it's so common for babies to need some help to fall asleep for these naps naps can be very very tricky at this age so um so just change up the the different devices and approaches that you use for all of these multiple countless naps throughout the day to minimize the chances of finding yourself with a baby that can only fall asleep with a certain set of conditions in place you know and otherwise they're helpless mm-hmm. so that's what i would say is you know the first three months now by the time your little one gets to that four to six month age range, this is when things begin to change. In that now you don't have a newborn, now you have an infant. So you know they've really graduated that famous fourth trimester, um, and they have more or less acclimated to living in the outside world. You know, welcome, <laughs> great place to be. But what it all, what also, what it also means is that developmentally, there's a lot that happens specifically around the four month mark. Um, And and with naps in particular, it's that four to six month mark where, where now your little one is going to develop the readiness to be able to give you fairly consistent, reliable, restorative naps independently in the crib or bassinet. Um, With some, some newborns can do that as well. Many can't, right? And so people always freak out. Well, oh, my baby will only, my newborn will only sleep for 30 minutes in the bassinet. Don't worry about that. That's fine. Um, They'll, they'll get there when they're older Um, and meaning somewhere in that four to six month range. So When your little one is in that range, that's when I would say, continue to try prioritizing that first nap, you know, in the bassinet or crib. And you can even start to try and prioritize the second nap as well with the hopes of, you know, forming a loose three nap schedule by the time your little one gets to that six month mark when their wake windows can be somewhere between two hours, two hours and 15 minutes, mathematically allowing for a three nap schedule to work. So that sort of gives you like a general overview of like developmentally what daytime sleep looks like as a newborn and then how it sort of um, morphs in, you know, becomes a little bit different when they get older. As a newborn, there's there's very little consistency here. Um, the consistency can begin with that first nap and then you might have a bunch of, you know, unreliable cat naps the rest of the day. And then by the four to six month mark is when they are development developmentally ready typically to begin begin to give you more consistency in that department
0: Mm -hmm. now what would you say kind of going back a bit you mentioned like the first nap in the bassinet or the crib to kind of set up for the day and thinking back to my first I was like she was she was not having that however I did not have all this knowledge I was researching Mm -hmm. myself but like I know there's so many listeners who are wondering that too they're like just putting the baby in the bassinet or the crib and it's like and they're like just not having it. So do you have any whether it's like habits or strategies or things um to kind of help them with that especially depending nighttime sleep. I find again that initial part can look different for everyone between bassinet to crib to bed sharing. So nighttime might look mm-hmm. different. So to get them yeah. to be independent for a nap um yeah. in that environment.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, and you're talking specifically about the the zero to three months, or you want to also talk about the, yeah
0: the zero to six months? Because well. I know you said four to six they can be more independent, yeah. but even initially, if there's anything that could help someone with for that, sure, yeah, yeah.
1: So, listen first. I will just emphasize that there mm-hmm. is so much that you can do proactively in mm-hmm. that newborn stage to set your little one up for solid sleep habits to begin with, including really solid naps as well. Um, so, you know, it's not an all or nothing. Like I know that there, there's this overall mindset It's sort of, as you said, that like the message around sleep is, oh, you're going to have a newborn. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to feel like you got hit by a Mack truck. There's nothing that you can do about it. If you want to sleep train, you got to just count down the days until your little one is four months. And then until then you have to just suffer through it. When the reality is that I would call that maybe a half truth. Maybe that's like a 40% truth (laughs) when the reality is, yes, having a newborn is exhausting because a newborn is not born being able to sleep eight hour stretches, Um, but you don't have to wait until they're four months either to be able to improve things and maximize sleep. There is so much that you can do at that stage to get them off on the right foot from the very beginning and, and potentially even avoid future problems down the road. My, my son, JJ was sleeping eight hour stretches by the time he was six weeks of age. Um, and he was exclusively breastfed. Everyone thinks, oh, he must've been bottle fed. Uh, he was breastfed and, and no, and I don't have like obscene amounts of milk either, where you know I was nursing triplets in my previous lifetime. That's really, really not the case here. The difference is that I just knew what I was doing this time around. And so one of the things, and he was the inspiration for my newborn sleep course, because suddenly I had all these moms that were like, can you teach my newborn how to do the same thing? And I said, sure. And then that was the end, that was the beginning of that. So One of the things that you can do to specifically encourage your little one to sleep in the bassinet and take that first nap in the bassinet is ensure that their sleep environment is really conducive to good quality sleep. So... First and foremost, you want to have heavy-duty blackout lines in your little one's room. Now, this recommendation confuses people because we're talking about newborns. Well, isn't that going to confuse them between? Aren't they still trying to figure out the difference between daytime and nighttime? I'm referring to newborns who are no who no longer have day-night confusion. Um, the first, let's say, few, let's say, one to three weeks of your newborn's life don't apply this don't 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 nap your little one in a super dark room have them in a brightly lit room all day long once their biological clock begins to develop and they begin to you know really understand the difference between daytime and nighttime it means that you really won't need to worry about them taking a 5 hour nap um you know in a in a really dark room so when you're at that point you want to go bonkers with blackout blinds because if there is too much natural sunlight coming into your little one's room, then it's going to make it significantly harder for them to fall asleep and stay asleep because it's going to suppress um, their body's natural production of melatonin, which begins around that stage as well. Their body does begin to produce melatonin a few weeks in. So, So the the last thing that you want is to hinder that process. So having heavy-duty blackout blinds is key. Make sure you've got a white noise machine playing as well. White noise is great across the board. For the newborns, it's awesome because it mimics the really loud noises of the womb, which is going to be inherently familiar and calming to them. Um, When they are no longer in that fourth trimester, now you've got a four to six-month-old on your hands, Um, you still want to have that white noise machine playing because it's it's going to drown out background noise and create a really calming, soothing sleep environment. Infants are notorious for being very, very light sleepers. And the reason for that is because if you look at a chart of what in a typical infant sleep cycle looks like, it's about 45 minutes long. And the vast majority of it is light sleep. They're in deep sleep for maybe a 10 minute period throughout that entire cycle. So that, you know, the the Amazon delivery guy ringing the doorbell, like that could easily wake your baby up. You know, the dog, the toddler, anything, the toilet flushing, you don't want that to happen. So white noise machines are great. Um, If you've got a newborn in that Zero to three month range in particular, make sure that you've got a great swaddle blanket for them because you don't want your newborn jerking their arms around uncontrollably, which is going to make it much, much harder for them to settle as well. By the four to six month mark, they're typically done swaddling, get them into a sleep sack instead and, you know, just make sure that they're in a comfy, cozy environment. And what I will say in particular for newborns is I'm a huge fan of pacifiers um, because they are, first of all, they they allow your little one to activate what's known as the calming reflex. That along with, you know, the the four, five S's in total that Dr. Harvey Karp talks about. And so the pacifier, interestingly, is the fifth S, but I think it should be one of the first along along with the the swaddle blanket. So I'll, I'll tell Dr. Harvey Karp that. <laughs> that really, you know, from the get-go, give that little baby a, a pacifier because then when they're so calmed and relaxed, it's so much easier for them to settle outside of your arms, then if they're not settled and relaxed to begin with, they're going to rely much more on you to do that for them. So overall, ensuring that your little one has that optimal environment that's conducive to good quality sleep, along with proper attire, you know, a really good swaddle and and a pacifier really gets you off on the right foot in that in that department. Um, I'd say the main difference, of course, between the zero to three-month-olds and the four to six-month-olds is that the in the latter age range, that's when you can begin to explore some form of traditional sleep training if that is something that you want to do, which refers to teaching your little one how to fall asleep independently um, and using an approach that allows you to you know, intervene and provide your little one support while they are still, you know, adapting to this new routine and learning how to fall asleep by themselves. That's not something that we would do with newborns, of course, because that's just not, they're they're not ready for that just yet. But by that age range, it's when they begin to be ready for it. And so if you're really, really struggling to get your little one down, even for that first nap of the day, then sleep training or nap training, for that matter, um, is likely going to be something you can explore if you want.
0: Mm -hmm. Can you go through the S's you mentioned for anyone who hasn't heard about those some people if you've dove into anything about sleep you probably come across them but I think it's helpful just to hear from you kind of your interpretation of them as well.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. So the five S's, it's a term that was coined by Dr. Harvey Karp, who's a a very well-known, world-renowned pediatrician. And the idea behind, which it refers to five different steps that all start with the letter S, that involve recreating a womb-like environment for a newborn, which is going to be inherently calming to them because they lived in the womb for nine months. That's what's familiar to them. And the reality is that the outside world is very different to what they were used to inside of the womb. And so the idea is that you, if you have a, a fussy, restless, unhappy baby, that you implement these steps like one S at a time to activate what's famously known as your baby's calming reflex so that they calm down stop fussing and can relax and then once they are relaxed that's when it's so much easier to get them to actually fall asleep so s, s step number one or s number one is swaddling so that involves taking you know a thin um, breathable blanket and um burrito wrapping them in, in some way. So I'll tell you, I actually never was able to master the burrito wrapping that they do uh, amazingly in the hospital. But there are really great swaddle blankets on the market that have built in flaps for um, people like me who just can't figure figure that stuff out and basically do the work for you. Um, my, my, my middle child was that really, 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 uh, fussy baby that needed to be properly swaddled desperately. And so I discovered the miracle blanket with her and the miracle blanket saved my butt in that, first few months. Um, So that's S number one. And so the idea is that if your little one is swaddled and is still unhappy, still fussing, you move on to S number two, which is the side or stomach position. That's not referring to sleeping. That's referring to you holding them. You always put them to sleep on their backs, but to get them to calm down and stop fussing, you can hold them Hold your baby, you know, in in a sort of like a football hold. There's numerous different ways that you can hold a baby on their side, Um, but it really, it it, oftentimes just having them swaddled and then turned onto their side can really help reduce the fussiness. Um, The next S is the um, it's it's the shushing. So that refers to. A white noise machine actually shushing in their ear. The womb is a very loud environment, right? They, they say that it's as if um, you have a vacuum right next to your ear. So, a white noise machine mimics the sound of the womb. Um, shushing right into your little one's ear can be so calming to them. In fact, it was those first three that would really calm my son down. Um, My my middle child needed all five. We'll, we'll get to the last two next. She needed all five of those. But with him, if he was swaddled and then turned onto his side, I'd say about half the time, he would immediately calm down. The other half of the time, all I had to do was shush into his ear and then he would do this, <sighs> like that. And I literally just felt, you know that sound where they're like, and then you just, Feel their body relaxing and what was interesting is that the shushing he's now four and a half and he still finds shushing in his ear very very calming so I don't think that that is a womb thing I think that's just maybe an association that he acquired over time but it's 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 cute nonetheless so but with Eliana on the other hand my middle child I would get to that third step and it still wasn't enough and so that's when you move on to S number four which is Um, It refers to swaying or swinging. So this refers to light motion, um, like holding your baby and bouncing them, swaying them, the womb is very active right they're inside you you're moving around even if you have a desk job all day you're still getting up and going to the bathroom every hour getting a drink going and doing things and so there are they're not used to being still all day long they're used to moving and so that motion that light swaying bouncing etc or swinging for that matter um can be really really helpful and then the final s which I do think should be sort of near the beginning, but I'm just the peanut gallery, is the sucking. And so sucking on something, whether it's a pacifier, a breast, a finger, a bottle, um, can also really help um, activate that calming reflex of a a baby. They have a natural sucking reflex as well. And so offering a pacifier can help calm that fussy baby down um, immediately. And I know that... For a while, the jury has been out about whether or not to introduce a pacifier immediately or after breastfeeding is established. But I did have someone on my podcast recently who looks at all the research around these things and and gives evidence-based parenting advice. And according to All the research that she has gone through and discussed, she was saying that there is that the the argument that um, it will hinder breastfeeding is actually not the case. Um, And so as long as you're not using the pacifier to replace feeds if your baby is hungry, if instead you're using it to calm and soothe your baby who has already fed and you know is not hungry, now just needs to relax and probably go to sleep, the pacifier will be your best friend no question. Um, And it might continue to be your best friend until your little one is a preschooler and needs to drop that pacifier. So I'm I'm a huge advocate of pacifiers throughout all those age ranges, but definitely for that newborn stage, for sure. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that, because I know that can help so many kind of you know, those steps to help create that environment. And even knowing, right, newborn versus that four to six month. And now listeners understand kind of the the difference and what sleep will kind of change over that time. And then obviously- also be on that six months. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, thank you Eva for sharing like all of your expertise. I wish I had found you before I had my (laughs) my first. Um, So I'm glad listeners get to hear from you. Um, Can you share a bit more how those listening can find you online about your program as well? Because I know that's a super helpful option um, as an online program, if they can't see you for consultation or wherever they
1: live, if they can't
0: see a sleep consultant.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me first of all on my website at mysleepingbaby.com. I'm also on Instagram at mysleepingbaby. And um, I've got a free masterclass that you can watch called how to get your little one consistently sleeping 11 to 12 hours at night so that you can feel like a functioning human again. Um, It is that masterclass is specifically geared towards parents of little ones in the four months to five year range. If you are pregnant or you have a newborn at home um, and the information in that masterclass isn't applicable to you just yet, then definitely check out my newborn sleep course that I mentioned. It's a very affordable, accessible program that takes you through all the different steps, that very simple, practical steps that you can take to get, your little one off on the right foot from the very beginning. Maximize sleep, decrease fussiness and crying. Be able to better understand your baby's needs and respond to their cues better, so that you feel more confident as a mom and uh, and less overwhelmed, so that you can actually really enjoy the newborn stage. So yeah. regardless of what stage you're at in terms of uh, your your baby and childhood years, I've got you covered. <laughs>
0: Yes, exactly. And you have a podcast as well, because I got to be on your podcast recently. So what is the name yes. of it? Again?
1: Your podcast? The My Sleeping Baby Podcast. Exactly. Kept it simple. Yes. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. So, so many ways that um, listeners can find you and work with you. And yeah, thank you again, Eva, for sharing so much expertise. I hope many are listening who are also pregnant, so they can hear this ahead of time. But if you're in the midst of this with an infant or um, or a newborn... There's so much that you can start changing now to make, make nap times be more doable and better for you and for baby. So thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Anita.